And they and then the other Craigslist ad, single long haired guy from Gurney looking for good time. <laughs> I should have specified the gender, but it, you didn't seem to care either. Yeah, so. you know. It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show. James Van It is car con carne, uh, the world's only food podcast recorded in a car. Uh, sitting shotgun this week, Jeremy Wagner from Broken Hope. A guitarist, a death metal titan, really. I consider you a titan in the Thank death you. metal world. Thank you. Um, when I think of the word titan, um, think of someone who's big and uh, formidable. I'm 5'3". Uh, it's all about swagger uh, and what you've done. You're big and formidable in like, spirit. When I've learned, James, and thank you for that for the compliment that means a lot you know I'd like to think that uh, whether I'm titanic for the you know the the legacy I have with in death metal with broken hope or things I've tried to do along the way you know good things to get you know to people that kind of thing um, I'll take titanic or a pat on the back whatever but you know um, tell you what I'm thrilled to be here on your podcast it's Sitting nice in to the car, meet you, man. Likewise, and you picked the place, so we're. This is one of your favorites. One of my favorites, absolutely. Tacos El Norte, which is Tacos of the North. Tacos of the North, <laughs> up in uh, up, up, in up north, Zurich. yeah, up north, up north in the northern burbs of uh-huh. all places, and I, um, it's uh, <clears throat> it's one of my favorites. I'll I'll tell you this. Um, for so many decades. Being a, a, a kid growing up in the burbs of Chicago, going down to the city for countless concerts. I'm talking, you know, the Metro, the Vic Theater, uh, the long, long, long gone uh, Medusa's, which was a great club on Sheffield, Aragon Ballroom. You go to these concerts, uh, me I primarily, have, you know, went to metal concerts and death metal, grindcore concerts, and you get out of the venue and you know it's two in the morning or whatever and the best thing in the world that you that you i at least for me getting i'm talking times where i got on my knees thinking the powers that be that these places were open were (laughs) hole in the wall mexican they're the best they're the freaking best not fancy mexican places i i went to a fancy mexican place once i'll never forget up at up in highland park and um it was just too the, the place was too polished. Um, everyone were wearing these really snappy outfits and uniforms. And the food, honest to God, for the pricing and being in a you know upscale neighborhood, if you want to call it that, just did not have a hold a candle to Tacos El Norte or any hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant they eat at down in the city. And um, they're the, bringing you here... James, um, for me, is a treat for myself uh, as well as you. I hope absolutely. It, and and Tacos del Norte carries on that tradition of those hole in the wall, badass, authentic 
totally great Mexican food. And uh, so, like, so we I, you and I were in. talking about we could eat this every day. So oh my god, <laughs> I could do chips, salsa, and guacamole. Every day. <laughs> yeah, we walk into this place. I grab a menu without even. A second passing by, you start rattling off exactly what you wanted. You're clearly mm-hmm. a regular. Mm-hmm. No menu needed. And it's like a five-page menu. But not you... a, none at all. No, exactly what I want. And what'd you get? Um, well, um, I got, and a real quick side note, when I leave for this place, I don't know if you know this because you were at my house, but when my family members get any glimmer that I'm coming here, their ears <laughs> perk up. Oh, I saw the and text. Then a text come in, <laughs> yep. tell me what they want me to bring home. Uh huh. So it's a they love it. But what I got um, is is my usual thing. I get three steak tacos with corn tortillas, <clears throat> no onions. I I just can't do onions. Never was able to stomach the taste or the smell. Just one of those things. But I, I everything else is fine. Um, I get extra cheese put on them. And you gotta have the, for me at least, I gotta have the corn tortillas. Um, the corn is more I, flavorful. The the the, the um, thing I'll tell you this, it's just side note, um, and then I'll tell you about the rest of my what I order. But I worked for years, years um, at a company in Lake Forest that had um, the it was a Skylight company, and their whole uh, manufacturing part of the facility was all 100% Mexican. Um, people from Durango and Chihuahua, Mexico, and uh, who had family and ranches back home and worked up here in the northern burbs. Wait, hold that thought. Please tell me there's a napkin in that bag. Or there's going to be trouble. <laughs> I don't know if there is. Damn it. Hang on. Glove compartment. Here we go. Oh, good call, dude. You I'm got a, him. Oh. I'm a parent. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I keep a stack. Every car I have, I, I keep napkins in all you got the time. It. All right, sorry. Just, I, oh, I, that's okay. I was having a taco emergency as you were talking. Well, I got scared here for a second. I didn't know if I needed to call 911. No, no. It's all good. Just a chorizo oh, casualty. Whew. Good. I'm, I'm so relieved. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so those guys I worked with, from Mexico, they taught me to speak Spanish. I, I can speak broken Spanish uh, enough to get by. Um, and I've dated a lot of Mexican women over the years um, who tried to teach me a little Spanish. And I'll tell you this: between whether it was ex-girlfriends who were Latina or coworkers I used to have, one thing is for certain: Mexico. I always told my Mexican friends and co-workers uh, I'm Mexican in my corazon, in my heart <laughs> because it's true uh, they, they call me Guerrito, you know, little white boy or Guero, white boy and, or Jaramillas which is like the Spanish version of Jeremy you know, the J is silent in right. Spanish so um, those are all terms of endearment anyway, I love, I love Mexico uh, the country, I love the Mexican people and goddamn, they make the best food in the world, and my whole point of all this, and I warned you, James, I've got the gift of gab. I'll go, I could go off on a subject and not. Yeah, not fair warning. Up, I will interrupt so. you at some point. Yeah, good. Okay. Thank you. That, uh-huh. That's. I'm glad you're steering the ship properly. While I, it's a Mazda. You know, have verbal diarrhea here. But all I wanted to say is, those guys I worked with would always make bring killer Mexican food to work at their wives. 
and significant others are themselves would make at home, put in Tupperware containers, and then they would bring a stack of um, El Milagro the tortillas. tortillas. Those are the best. And that got me hooked, dude. It was oh, yeah. like, um, if you can be addicted to a food like you would a drug... Mexican food's definitely an addiction of mine. And the corn tortillas, dude, uh, that's what... I'm just saying, you got to have it, man. It's more authentic there. They're tastier. So, steak tacos, no onions, all vegetables, extra cheese on corn tortillas. And then, what I always do is I get what I call a backup burrito. And I get a steak burrito with no vegetables. Just, you know, steak cheese and refried beans just in case and i put it in the fridge and then if go. i'm i get up late at night you know like dagwood well i don't know what listeners what their ages are but if you ever saw blondie now i saw like old school I'm, yeah now i saw yep. <laughs> dagwood a dag dagwood would cartoon character would go down and make giant sandwiches and midnight snacks and all that stuff, and uh, that reference yeah. predates heavy metal by it, like thirty it, years. It, it does, you know. That's what the backup burritos for, though. See, that's so a different version. Later, when I go to hot dog joints, I get a snack hot dog, and it's mm-hmm. not for later, but it's for the trip home. Because mm-hmm. hot dogs, you, you can't mm-hmm. eat just one hot dog. That's not filling. That's not a meal. I get a snack hot dog. Right. Right. Um, I, I want to talk about Broken Hope. There's so sure. much to talk about with you. But first, I, I was kind of telling you this earlier. I work with the nicest guy in the world. His name is Chris. And I mentioned that I was going to be oh, podcasting yeah. with you. And, Hi, Chris. Well, he was so excited. He brought in some vinyl to have me give to you to sign. And I thought, I didn't think that would be inappropriate. So I, Not at all. I made every attempt to do I'll it. I'll sign anything. I'm in the middle of this week where I'm working really weird hours. I'm getting like three hours of sleep, waking up at three in the morning. I completely forgot his vinyl at work, and I feel terrible. I thought it would be nice if we called him. Let's do it. And I, I've never really done a live phoner in the car. Really? So This, this is a first for real? Yeah. We've oh, played around with it before. All right, cool, but man. Let's see, let's see how this works. Great. I'm going to call Chris. We're okay. Gonna, we're going to Bluetooth this. Hello? Hey, Chris, it's James. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but I'm here with Jeremy Wagner. Hi, bud. Oh. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you? How's it going? Good, how are you? I, I felt, ter- uh, I felt well. terrible, dude. I, I didn't bring the vinyl with, and I, I felt like I should at least make some connection between you and Jeremy. I, I felt terrible that I left your vinyl at work, so I wanted you to at least have the chance to say hi to him. Yeah, no, very cool. Uh, hi, Jeremy. Uh Nice to meet you in the most indirect possible way while I'm waiting for the bus. But, and, and, uh, and love what, your band. Glad you guys are back. Likewise, man. I um, I uh, will send some Broken Hub goodies back with James for you as well. Oh, you're kidding. And, uh, oh, no, awesome. no, I'm not. And um, James, uh, I just told James I'll sign anything. And I actually signed James's chest. He says he's going to get my signature tattooed. Yeah, there was a lot of hair to get through, but he, he did said it. he's a bigger fan than you. So I, so I said, okay, that'll prove it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I'll hopefully run into you one of these days and can, can sign uh, that vinyl for you and whatnot. Do you yeah, have, for sure. What? Do you, can you tell me what vinyl you have from our discography? Uh, I got a uh, bowel. Oh, yeah. 
You know, that's one of my um, personal favorite records that we have of of ours, and uh, that album is like um, just ferocious. I remember yeah. when I wrote that album, we just we had, our first album had come out the year year and a half before we got signed to Metal Blade records they re-released that first album and we we're gonna put out balls of repugnance but our um ex old guitar player brian griffin who is actually lamb of god's tour manager now he's been with those guys for years yeah he's doing great in um his his music business career he's still you know touring it's just with lamb of god he does their um their sound too he's a one of the best sound men i've ever heard so he does all that but brian griffin and i back in the early 90s lived together in an attic apartment of a three-level house and um back then uh, i didn't have a pot to piss in as they say and actually james i gave james a copy of our documentary dvd mm-hmm. 25 years of sickness uh the history of broken hope and you'll see that, James. What I'm telling Chris yeah. here is what, what when we get to the bowels of repugnance there on that DVD, basically I had I was piss poor. I ate mac and cheese every day. In fact, I couldn't even afford Kraft brand mac and cheese. It was too expensive. I bought you had food to go generic. club. Yeah. yeah. And that's true. And I so I was I was poor. Um, I was hungry. Um I always had girlfriend problems, and all that made me... Oh, and I also had a point to prove after coming off our debut album, That Broken Hope. Yeah. We had had something to prove, and we weren't going away. So I was all pissed off, and I wrote song after song after song in that attic apartment. Plus, by the way, what made me even angrier and benefited the music uh, (laughs) intensity was had no AC in the summer, and heat rises, and it was like well in sit, Chicago I, in the I, summer. Yeah, and I it. remember sitting in the That's kitchen of that, that 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 like this is James. What model is this? This is a, Mazda. It's a Mazda three. This Mazda three is about the size of the apartment I lived in. Yeah, I bet. And I sat on a stool, broiling hot, pissed off, way, and, and just and I just wrote like that whole album. Jeremy, isn't non-stop. sat on a stool a Broken Hope song? Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but. <laughs> You know, I'm writing lyrics for there. You go. Our next full length album. I don't want to tell you what to do by, for the next album, but I might. Can I? <laughs> God damn it! Now I gotta give you writing credit, which I don't mind. You can sat on a stool. Yeah. I broke it. Hope I could see that that going out to you when when we finally play it live. Or or so, broken right. hope would be more like <laughs> shattered my sphincter on a stool yeah. or yeah, right. Torn um, stool tearing stool, sphincter. Sphincter stool impalement. <laughs> That's it. Something like that. I love yeah. ghostwriting for you. Uh, Chris, I know you're getting on the bus. I just I wanted you to be able to say hi to Jeremy. Yeah. No, that's awesome, hey, man. I'm, I might leave you guys in a second here, so it was very nice meeting hey, you. Hey, Chris. Nice yeah, nice meeting you, Chris, and I'll send some Broken Hope goodies with uh, James. I told James anyone that uh, buys Broken Hope stuff is always family to me, so um, we've got a whopping 10,000 family members out mm-hmm. there. Something so you're one of them. So it's an honor to to uh, have speak to you as well. So thanks, man. Talk to you later, Chris. Bye. That was really nice, you, Jeremy. Oh yeah, and that guy, Chris, truly like one of the nicest guys I know. Which brings me to my next point: metal people. I mean, you know, I was joking around about uh, lyrics and song titles. Yeah. 
there's everything brutal about Broken Hope. The, the sound, the lyrics. But behind it all, the people who like metal, the people who create metal, are kind of pussycats. Like yeah. my friend Chris, who, hardcore, he's all about doom and death. You are this death metal ruler, and you, you're just a decent guy. Yeah, thanks, man. So I, I think it shatters what people's expectations might be. You know, I've got... I, I always try to wear my heart on my sleeve. I uh, try to do the right thing in life. You know, I'm always... I try to be good to others. My grandpa Wagner, when I was a little boy, he taught me early on, you be a gentleman, you open doors for ladies. You know, be good to others. I was raised that way and That's solid advice. I like being you know, I like being a nice guy. I think this is Glenn Benton at Deoside um or someone. Glenn Glenn's a good friend of mine. Um I think it was him, if I'm mistaken. It it doesn't matter. Bottom line is, it was him or someone else in some other band dubbed me the nicest guy in death metal like a few years ago. And you know what? I'm You'll happy take it because the world's full of of a, a lot of assholes, a lot of selfish people. I like to operate the other way. I like to try to be good. There's ex band members. I'm sure uh, you know. Would would argue that point that you know have a hard on for me if I can say that on your blog, um, you know. But you know I've been nothing but generous and nice to pretty much everyone I've ever met, and um, that's how I like to be. And my wife, she's got to be one of the most generous people I know. We, you know, together or separately, we donate money to no kill animal shelters. We. Well, let's stop there. Oh. Mm -hmm. Because last year you made headlines for donating a farm to pet rescue. Like a a farm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it... I guess... Walk me through that. Um, You you owned a farm. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it was a lot to maintain. I, um... What happened was... Um... When I... I used to work a day job in... Just before I got married, and I was doing really good on my own by myself. I had um, I had a corporate job at a Fortune 500 company. I had a lot of really good stock. I also owned three houses that I acquired on my own, and uh, I became a landlord. Which you got to be cut out to be a landlord. I wouldn't advise it to anyone if you can't. I I hated it, but. I'm working this corporate gig. I'm, I got a great salary, um, great investments. I have these houses. And then I sold my debut novel to a publisher, The Armageddon Cord. And right after that, um, I was able to quit my job. And um, I had met my wife around mean, that wait, same you time. Mean, you mean you had the American dream come true? Pretty much, right. So what I did, James, was... I started seeing my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend and then fiance, and I um, I sold everything. I sold all my houses, um, cashed in like a bunch of stock and, and whatnot, and uh, put my money away. And then um, I got married and you know moved moved to another part of the burbs up here, and mm-hmm. 
have been living ha- happily ever after. But last last year, um, oh shit, this is going on. Let me think. I like how you, summer of like, 2014. I like how you asked me if you can say hard on, but shit's not a problem for you. Oh yeah, that's right. See, I forget what. I... <laughs> All right. Jeez, man. Put my foot in my mouth on that one. It's all good. Um, foot broken off so, in mouth on the new Broken Hope. Foot foot chewed off in Mazda. That's right. At Mexican food ran out. That's the backstory of the, uh-huh. of the lyrics. I'm already working on that. Good, good work. Um, Van Osnel Taco. You know what? That sounds a little kinky. Why? Shit, why? Yeah, the Van Osnel. That's my signature. That means two things. That's my, sig- <laughs> that's my signature move. <laughs> oh, God, man. Shit. Oh, I'm dying over here. All right. What was I saying? Okay. Back We're talking the about farm. the farm. Sorry, bro. Um, <laughs> hilarious. I uh, I got this farm in 2014 because I'm into, still into what I call, like, you know, my boy boy things I like to do. I like riding dirt bikes. Um, I like, uh, you know, going to the shooting range and shooting my guns and... I love animals, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy a farm with a bunch of land so I can tear it all up with my dirt bikes and have my friends ride with me on their dirt bikes or four-wheelers. Um, I can make a shooting range and shoot my guns without paying to go to a shooting range. Yeah. Um, and I can have, like, animals I want to have at my house You've been there. I've got two dogs, and those I dogs. I love your dogs. Thank you. My dogs love people, and they but they also love to kill small animals. <laughs> and I'm a. I gotta be honest. I'm a cat guy. I'm not a, a dog person. I. Wait, did you marry into the dogs? I, I married into the dogs. Okay. A wife who already had two children who are now my stepkids. Those dogs are their family. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I had cats. The woman who took, who how I met her, she adopted my cat. She's an awesome person, and she's a really good friend of my wife's and mine now. She's the woman I donated the farm to. I never forgot how she helped me with my cats. She took them and adopted them from me, and she was an animal rescuer. And I put an ad in Craigslist years ago when I... In 2009, when I was moving in with my wife, now, that wasn't the ad I, I answered, and, was it? Um, yeah, I answered that, that one Craigslist ad. Yeah, um, I said um, "free pussy to good home," and I had Van Osdo like blowing right. up my phone nonstop. That's right, like Van Osdo from Q101. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, sir. No, that's not what the ad intended. No, that you've called like hundred times. Dude, James, uh, I, I have worked for years to, to get rid of that surname. For so long, it's been oh, James from Q101. Yeah. Ben also worked for so long to get but rid I of that But I was using name. it in context with the year you were calling me Indeed. on my Craigslist okay. ad. Fair enough. You know. Uh, and, they, and then the other Craigslist ad, single long-haired guy from Gurney looking for good time. <laughs> I should have specified the gender, but it, you didn't seem to care either. Yeah, so. you know. But anyway, it was an, it was an experiment. I don't mean phase. to keep that tag on you. I just want to make sure I'm clear. It was in context with yeah, James from the year one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm going to call you James from the Mazda. 
That's that's right. Want to be well, yeah. you know. I guess there are worse things than being identified or with carne your car. Asada, you know. So, anyway, that woman who adopted my cats because I couldn't bring them with me. Um, wonderful woman. We kept in contact for years, and then she became good friends with my wife. My wife was um, helping her out by donating money to her dog rescue which she does full-time, and that's no easy gig, man. These oh, I can't people, imagine. That's like um, that's like being like, a, you know, one of these, what what do you call those people like up in New Hampshire who, uh, you know, make these voting things like for like for like Jeb Bush and shit, you know, they, uh, they work for nothing. They're going door to door and, you know, trying to spread the word, you know. I, it's I like don't know. A thankless job is, you know, you know what I mean, but the, the, um, that, that's what this woman does. Basically, rescuing dogs is, is a thankless job because it's like all your free time is dedicated to it. There's no money to be made. Mm-hmm. Everything goes into saving the animals, rehabbing them, and getting them into good homes. And so, uh, you know, if there's a heaven, you know, someone like this good friend of ours, she'll be a friggin' saint when her time comes. But anyway, I had this farm. It was for all my shits and giggles uh-huh. you know uh, you know, I sound like a redneck you know but <laughs> no, I wanted the, cats too though wait I just wanted, because of the dirt bikes and the guns the why gun, do you sound dirt like a bikes, redneck guns chewing the back hole, <laughs> yeah. you know I don't know what you're I talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right the confederate flag <laughs> that I had right. painted on the silo uh huh um so anyway <clears throat> so I couldn't I wanted to have cats man I wanted farm cats and I wanted a cow and I wanted that there was some cows that we're trying to get our hands on that that were going to be killed, and uh, there were some old horses that were, you know, the term put out the pasture. They yeah, were literally legit. in a pasture, yeah. and they were going to be killed. And we we're trying to get yeah. those. So I wanted a bunch of different animals, pygmy goats and shit. Any, you know, I wanted to have Wagner's farm with animals I loved and fun to be had, and get getting out of my house and blowing off steam. And this woman who adopted my cats all those years ago who had this marvelous dog rescue that we donated money to uh, becomes a better friend than my wife and I and I'm like you know what What, you want to live on a farm for free I just want you to manage the property because I don't live there and there's a farmhouse and you know and you can do your dog rescue there you got a you got two goddamn barns you got you can make kennels and so we had kennels made she was off and running and um unfortunately january 2015 i'm out in california and i get a call that the farm house is on fire no i was out of my mind i bet i'm honest in this what happened was this there was some electrical issue the farmhouse burnt to the ground. Um, Jesus, some dogs were died in the in the fire. Some cats died. Broke all our hearts. There were a couple dogs with smoke inhalation, and thank God we got them um, saved. We got them rushed to an emergency That's amazing. vet. And thank God the woman run at the farm didn't didn't die or anything. You know. Um, that's really scary. So animal animals died. That's that's horrible. Humans didn't die, um, but you know, I, I 
pretty much love animals more than a lot of humans. So it's you know it's hard, and it was really hard on that poor gal living out there. Um, so after I got back, surveyed the damage, and took a step back, I thought of a number of things. One, I hadn't spent been able to spend a lot of time out on the farm because I was touring a lot with Broken Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, family trips, you know, personal matters. So that that rec that recreational farmland, which was and it was an hour drive to get there, two hours round trip. Um I wasn't spending a lot of time out there. Not only that, the there's some neighbors out there in the country one thing I wanted to, was to kind of also have a place that was off the grid. I didn't want anyone bugged. Oh, I get that. But let me tell you something. Brother, It does. you could live in an isolated area and have neighbors miles down the road. These people go out of their way to, to stick their nose in your business. I had people pulling <laughs> up. I'm so-and-so down the road, and um, I kept getting the, the woman that that was living there take care of the place would tell me horror stories you know people trespassing and Ugh. you know all kinds of shit and um and then when the house burnt down this one neighbor wrote this really who is a self-proclaimed blogger and a self self-published author um said all these horrible things about me like uh and they had pictures of my burnt down farmhouse in her blog saying yeah, this guy, um, this rock star who bought this farm, uh, his farmhouse burnt down, and, you know, he's been a nuisance since he oh. bought this place, and he, and then she's like, and he drives a Tesla, so what does that tell you? It's like, really? I What it tells you is I care about the environment. I drive an electric car, you, you crazy bitch. So anyway, that was an ongoing problem, and then... The, so between crazy. those neighbors and the farmhouse burning down and not spending a lot of time out there, all that combined, James, just took the wind out of my sails. I'm sure it did. So I just decided I'm going to donate the farm to this woman to can, with the agreement and promise we're going to, you know, she's going to ca- carry on the mission statement to make it um, an oasis for animals in need mm-hmm. of all types. If there's a, a squirrel or raccoon that got clipped by a car and needs rehabbing on the farm, they have a home now. If there's an old cow or horse some someone has that, and they're going to put a bullet in its head, we're, we'll take it off their hands and give them a home that they can enjoy and be loved for the rest of their life. Pit bulls. Indeed, all over the uh, Chicago metropolitan area, there's a bunch of buildings, land, kennels. They got a place to go. That was the mission outside all that fun I had. Like I told you, bud, that woman was going to live there, manage the place. I was going to have all the animals I ever wanted. You know, yeah. I had the cow, the cats, <laughs> right. the the pygmy goats, you know, for, for fun. My little petting zoo, and then I could leave and she would feed the animals and get their vet shots and everything so still wanted a place for the animals wanted to give her something that she could have a piece of property for all that saintly work that she's doing and I donated the farm um, I paid the taxes on the place for two years in advance as well you know um, what happened after that 
was I posted, all I did was a Facebook post, and it said, I just gave the biggest donation of my life. And when I say the biggest, I've donated um, personal money for people in need uh, who have medical medical costs. I I know, but I'm just saying, um, whether it's a GoFundMe thing, Mm -hmm. a friend had to make their own album or help someone with medical bills or put a kid through school, I've done generous things. I'm happy to. This was a big big, big deal, because what I paid for that property, out of my own personal savings, I'm not Bill Gates, which some people think I am, I am not uh, super filthy rich, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine in life, and you know what, um, I could spare that farm, and um, everything I paid for it, put into it, um, was one you know, one massive great deed for the animals first and foremost, made you feel and for good. this woman, yeah. And so that I posted, I made the biggest donation of my life. I gave away my farm that I was so proud of. Because if anyone followed me on Facebook, they'd see pictures of me out yeah. at the farm here and there, and all this great stuff we were doing and fun I was having. I gave that farm away. It's for the animals. Now this place will be a safe haven and a place to to help all creatures, great and small. So all of a sudden, that that started going viral. People started reposting it. Then I did. I was approached by the Examiner to do mm-hmm. an interview, and I was in Europe on tour. And I said, um, I knew something was going on. That was going viral because the, yeah, you can the place it. burnt down, and mm-hmm. I donated it a couple months after. And right after I donated, I went to Europe on tour, and two things happened, James. One, I was approached by the examiner to do an interview. Two, every show we did in ten different countries on that European tour, every night someone from a different country would come up to me, sometimes bring me a gift, a bottle of wine, or our goddamn Hallmark type of card written in, you know, French or, or you know, uh, Spanish, whatever language, Italian, whatever we were touring, then I'd be like, what's this for? And they go, you you saved the animals. We See, love you, Jeremy. You saved... And I was like, what the fuck's going on? That's I go, I, can, and, and it was... And, and that's something all, and, all of us humans can agree yeah, on. Yeah. Doing right by and, animals. And, yeah. we, we suck at and, taking care of each other, but we can all agree that yeah, animals we take yeah. care of. Um, I had a... Uh, we did a, a festival in the, in the Netherlands called Neurotic Death Fest for like 10,000 people and a, a girl came up to me you're Jeremy Wagner you're Jeremy Wagner and this is already after a week of people every night saying thank you for what you did for the animals now I'm thinking for sure this woman is a huge Broken Hope fan Yep, she's going you're Jeremy Wagner you're Jeremy Wagner um Great, like your buddy Chris. Maybe, uh, maybe she's got a, a, a vinyl, you know, yeah. stuck down her back pocket. I'm gonna sign. No, she's like, it's a pleasure to meet you. What you did for those animals and donating that farm is the most awesome gift and you know act of generosity, and it brings tears to my eyes just talking about it. And she starts crying. I'm go. I said, wow, thanks. It was an honor to do it. It makes my heart feel good in every person like you thanking me makes me swoon 
and makes me even happier that I did it. I'm like, um, uh, I really appreciate it. She goes, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And then she just adds, I never heard of you or Broken Hope before. And I saw you. I, I'm not really into your music. <laughs> but what you did, so it was like, that was great, you know, because here I thought it was a super fan. And what was awesome is, she brought me right down to earth. Doesn't really <laughs> yeah. care for the band. Never had actually heard of Broken Hope before. Um, but she was at a death metal fest. You know, you think if you're at death metal fest, you would hope you heard of Broken Hope. But yeah, but... this chick didn't. But she did hear me and what I did by donating the farm. And screw the music side of shit. I don't care. That that That's what's important. Doing good in this lifetime is important to me. And they have someone like that not give a shit about the Jeremy Wagner Broken Hope, which is totally cool with me. doesn't matter. The fact that she knew I did something in the name of, you know, animal saving and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. That, that, I don't know, that, that's just something I'll never forget and, and, uh, and the many others. So I did the examiner thing. That came out and then it went viral again and James... Story's gone viral like five times, so I don't know how many millions of people have read it, but the amount of love and email, I mean, it just never stops every week. And that you're talking, that was, you know, first quarter of 2015, I donated that. And so it's been a year, over a year. Um, and it's just, it's still, people are still talking about well, it's, that. It's a great so, story. It's, it's and, a great uh, situation. You know, and, uh, yeah. I think that's fabulous. I, I do want to focus a little bit on the band. Mm-hmm. Since you're here, uh, how was the taco, by the way? Well, is Sorry, there, I'm the is there, no, it's fine. Um, when you asked the question, I just took a bite of this of taco. Of course, that's the way it works. If your listeners can't tell. And I was, just when you asked the question, I'm not effing kidding. I'm like, this is like, um, if your mouth could have an orgasm, this goddamn steak taco. I had two steak tacos. That. It was they were really good, and the chorizo taco was great. I am wearing. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I'm good. Is that fucking good? I, I'm covered in like diced tomatoes and onions. They're all <laughs> on the floor. This is going to be a good week to get the interiors right, washed in my car. With all your blogs, by the way, before we talk about the band, I noticed on your Instagram. You frequent a lot of Mexican restaurants. Sure. At least that was my first impression. And between the tacos, whatever other Mexican food you get, you told me you had a 16-inch pizza on your dashboard recently uh-huh. in an interview. <clears throat> when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> fire up the old uh, Van Osdo mobile and hop in. Does it does it smell like a restaurant? Oh yeah, it does. Does it? Oh yeah, yeah. My, my kids like to try and identify what I had the night before. <laughs> like, oh, that's was, fun. <laughs> that's like, cool. Smells like barbecue in here. It smells a little porky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right, so Broken Hope. The fact that this is something you started when you were a kid, mm-hmm. really a kid. It is still working today. Um, there was a hiatus. Yep. Some personnel has changed. Yep. You weathered tragedy in the band. Yes. Can you, yes. looking back, oh, yeah. looking back to the beginning, just a kid trying to carve, carve, carve a path for himself, master the guitar? Could you have imagined that this would be your 
your calling, your 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 final destination in adulthood. Um, I've seen. Well, I'm going to put it to you a couple ways. That I've seen people ask, like John Tardy, the singer of Obituary, who's a little older than me, because uh, we toured with Obituary, and um, we shared a tour bus. This was in 2012. And I remember an interviewer asking him, because uh, I was sitting across from him on the tour bus, did you ever imagine seeing yourself doing Obituary? at this stage in life 2012 and John Tardy said absolutely not the opposite goes for me when I was a teenager James um, I was so driven and focused to make a band a death metal band that would do something and this was and, late 80s and yeah we formed in 1988 in in high school I formed the band with our original singer Joe Thiacek and our original drummer, Ryan Stanek, both of whom, unfortunately, have passed away. And uh, Ryan just passed away uh, last year. So um, I'm like the original founding father mm-hmm. of the three of us. Um, but even back then, James, the thing was, when I was in high school back then, up here in the northern Chicago burbs, and I, I went to school in Gurney, so between Gurney... Libertyville, there are all these local bands, Waukegan too, and all of them played cover songs. Yeah. And I was like the only person in, you know, a 10-mile radius that listened to death metal and underground death metal. And I would play, you know, try to turn people on at school. And these (coughs) guys in cover bands who thought they were always hot shit because they'd play the American Legion Hall and draw like a couple hundred you know their friends and family mm-hmm. and thought they're hot shit you know playing warrant covers and and whatnot would always tell me i sucked your music sucks you'll never do anything with that music what kind of vocals are those joe and ryan were the only guys within a 10 mile radius who who got it and were into that you know we came from a school of thrash that was like dark angel Old Metallica, mm-hmm. Venom, Slayer, and then, you know, death metal started coming out. You know, you'd hear for Celtic Frost, you'd get mm-hmm. then the band Death, and then Obituary, of course. And but Was Venom uh, kind of the Rosetta Stone for all that? Yeah, more, I think more so for black metal, you know, mm-hmm. well, but sure. there's a Rosetta Stone for extreme music, I would say. Venom, Slayer for sure, mm-hmm. you know, I mean... When I look at band like Slayer, Hell Awaits, and, and Rain and Blood, which 85, 86, or whatever, that you know, if you listen to those goddamn riffs, if they had, you know, someone like, um, you know, Joe Thiacek doing the vocals at the time, that would have been a death metal band. They're, yes. they're considered one of the big four thrash metal bands, but they were so fucking fast and so intense and had some of the heaviest riffs you'd ever hear God, I always liken them to being like just a hair away from death metal you know so it really, any, the, you're right the difference is the vocals right well yep. not to sidetrack you too yeah much, sure let's talk about death metal vocals uh huh because it is for people who are unfamiliar with death metal this is death metal vocals are frightening yes and it takes a special kind of vocalist 
to get that out. It does. It does. It can quit, you know, to the layman on the street, to most people's moms and dads or <laughs> people who just don't, don't know that style, they quickly dismiss it. You'll hear, you know, Cookie Monster Vocals is like the one tag that, that's... That you that that's out there that uh, too easy that makes you cringe you know kind of like you know um, I'm James from Q101 how dare you you I'm sorry see (laughs) Uh, (laughs) glad you got a sense of humor I um, they don't understand that that death metal vocal style is a real uh, real art Um, it's it's a guttural delivery. It's primal, and, it, and it's primal, and it, it, and you have to, for I death metal vocals like um, any any real great metal vocalist is dependent on um, you know a, a diaphragm, abs, um, a healthy throat, uh, all that stuff, and it's a real instrument. Joe Fiacek, our late great singer, he started calling. His, would call himself esophagus. <laughs> so there'd be, you know, Brian Griffin, lead guitar, yeah. Ryan Stanton drums, Jeremy Wagner, rhythm guitars, Joel Fichek, esophagus. You know? That's about right. Yeah. And, um, and there's places in the world, like I told you, we did that first ever live concert DVD, uh, Live Disease, and we played the 25,000 people. That's like playing... You know Tinley Park here in Chicago, right? Or, that, or Alpine Valley, massive. That that's a dream come true for me. I never would imagine because most of the time <clears throat> in Broken Hope Land, I'll honestly, you know, we're lucky to play draw two hundred people a night in most clubs, you know, headlining or, or anything like well, that. Well, I kind of so, think, think the nineteen nineties so, were tough. Were tough for death metal in general in, in the states. They, they yeah, they were. It's always I don't know. It's like. Up and down, man. It depends on the tour and what's going on. I think right now, death metal is more popular than it's ever been. The 90s, you know, were kind of hard on metal as a whole, as as you know. I mean, uh, everyone blames Nirvana for that. You know, um, I think Nirvana were heavy as fuck, actually. Um, um, that, yeah, that Nevermind album has some great, great friggin' riffs that, like, I thought... I could play through my guitar tone, my rig and stuff, and they're just slamming. Well, you know? there's nothing on and, Bleach that's terribly radio-friendly. Yeah. yeah, right. Another great one. So, um, with, uh, that sound you hear, folks, is me eating a tortilla chip. It's, it's all just, part of the show, Jeremy. Yeah. Just, um, people would be disappointed if they didn't hear you eat. There was, um, so, there was a time where, yeah, it was definitely rough, in fact, when we did our fifth album, Grotesque Blessings, that was like the worst U.S. tour we'd ever done. <laughs> it was horrible draw, horribly booked, more massive personnel changes, um, and I had a bunch of hired guns. Even Joe Thychek, <clears throat> after we recorded that album, quit right before we were going to tour. He just said, you know what, uh, I, I'm, I'm retiring or whatever. So <coughs> we... Um, <clears throat> I'm choking on the air here. Um, James is doing nothing to help me, so no, I'm just I'm uh, pounding my chest like Chris Farley at Saturday Night Live. I, I'm enjoying um, my orcha- <laughs> my orchata, which is delicious. 
It's like drinking rice pudding. Rice pudding in liquid uh-huh. form. Uh-huh. Real liquid form. So, <clears throat> 90s were rough in that 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 um close of that that decade 2000s when I around um 2002 is when I put the band on hiatus. But anyway, uh, uh, let hang on, let's drop uh-huh. anchor there. Why? Um cuz I had a bunch of hired guns in the band that weren't real good musicians cause we and was there, some, was caught, pe- one or two weren't really up to par musicianship wise and I got nothing but attitude like people wanted um felt entitlement like um you know I should be making this like later like as a tour is going on I yeah. really should be making this now and just um, just nightmare situations, man. God, should I? Should I wouldn't wish on anyone. Shit, yeah, shit that makes like all the failures in in the movie Spinal Tap look like <laughs> huge victories. Like you know, Christ, man. I'm telling you, like uh, I've seen it all, dude. You talk about paying dues. It's like uh, I felt, you know, maybe you pay your dues first couple albums and things would get easier but that album number five man that was a what a what a pain in my ass so and it's weird because people <clears throat> fans there's so many fans that love that freaking album and it was and and it was our most technical album and it, it was really it was a weird time in my life you know so i'm not with because there's just so much negative shit with personnel changes trying to keep the ship afloat and just and, and I don't know, man. It was just a weird, just a weird period. So I just I was like, I'm walking away from this. You right needed now. to do a and reset. I, that was hard because I never envisioned my. You talk about me, how far I thought I'd go mm-hmm. or what I would do. I was always one that would never say I'm going to be too old to do this sometime and hang right. it up. Bullshit. I have said in interviews I want to be the Keith Richards of death metal. What that means is not. Keith Richards' drug habits for the rest of my life. <laughs> I want to be on top, or, or at least still, no matter what, at the end of the day, doing what I love, which is writing the heaviest music that I can, being a death metal guitarist, writing death metal lyrics, and having this band, Broken Hope, still going. I don't care if I'm in my 70s. I'm going to tell you this real quick. Buddy Guy is 70 years old. He released an album this past year called Born to Play Guitar. Once One, the title resonates with me. I think I was born to play guitar and also write horror novels <coughs> and shit too. But he's 70, and I'm telling you, no bullshit, that album kicks ass. He's shredding. His riffs are amazing. His lyrics and vo- vocals, he, that's inspiration to me, James. I'll be 46 this year. He's 70. I aspire to be like Buddy Guy when I'm 70. Dude, have, have Writing you... the best fucking album I've ever written at that age. Because he, he's done it. I get inspired by people way older than me. I don't yeah. ever look at a musician who's up there and talk shit about him. Like, oh, the Rolling Stones should be on walkers and, and shit like that. I look at him and go, look at these guys still kicking ass passionate about their music and instruments and um that's where i see myself so i love it again 
the, that 17 year old that started the band he's inside me he's inside me too as a metal fan if I see my favorite bands Napalm Def if I see Metallica live and hang out with Kirk Hammett like I just did don't I don't always get starstruck but I am a fan and I still get excited and I still just love doing what I do listening to bands I love and, and all that stuff none of this stuff gets old man and I think on that note is I've said this before in interviews and it might sound corny but god damn dude I swear music no matter what the genre if you're a musician or a fan and you really you still like going to live shows and you get off on music and it brings you joy in your life I swear to god music as a whole as a fan or a musician or both together is some type of fountain of youth you know well I was going to say speaking of Buddy Guy if you've seen him play at all ever really but I saw maybe a year or two ago he does have that fountain of youth you see him on stage yes and all I could think is oh my god I hope to have half that energy half that style half that swagger when I'm I'm his age right because he's still my god his lyrics on the new album are phenomenal. He's dude. the best. He's talking. There's a song he does with uh, one of the guys from ZZ Top. I think it's Billy Gibbons. Yeah. It's called "Wear You Out" or "I'm Gonna Wear You Out." And it starts off about how he had a Stratocaster, and everyone said, "You'll, you know, things unbreakable." And it, and he wore out that guitar, and then uh, had a '55 Eldorado. And I drove it till the wheels and axles fell off, drove it into the ground. And uh, then I was with some chick who, um, <laughs> you know, thought, you know, she'd wear me out in bed. And uh, she was, you know, he already had the had the chick happy and satisfied within one minute. He he hadn't even hit his stride yet. Love the blues. The ah, ly- oh, dude, <laughs> they're so goddamn. Those lyrics just, I love them, dude. And like, and again, it's buddy guy. At 70, writing shit like he's 20 years old, man. Exactly. So the whole point of all that is that's an inspiration to me. You follow me? I, I'm totally you know? following you. I mean, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm wrestling journey. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Um, I need more duct tape. I had a, an accident oh, here with the, with the mic stand uh, about a month or two ago, and uh, the duct tape appears to be failing, but I think we'll make it through the interview. <laughs> this is This is not exactly a high-tech studio. Yeah. You kind of make do with what you got. Dude, you can do anything nowadays. Mm-hmm. You That's, can have a studio anywhere, and and what you have here, brother, it's doing the trick, man. It's thanks. great. Yeah, thanks. Uh, another thing you made headlines for, and I guess we don't need to go too deeply into it, but you bought all of Jeff Hanneman, the late Jeff Hanneman's guitars. Yeah, from Slayer. I mean, nothing says <clears throat> fan and passion like that. I'll tell you what, that's something that seventeen-year-old inside me never saw coming, and that. And as now that seventeen-year-old inside me is doing backflips and and still <laughs> pinching himself that that actually happened. I um, do, do you do you play them? Are you are you self-conscious about playing those guitars? There's um, when I this whole thing started. You know, unfortunately, Jeff Hanneman passed away a few years back, and his widow um, had had 
entertained the idea of auctioning a f- few guitars off at one time and then did not want to au- decided no I'm not going to auction them I'm going to pull them she pulled all the guitars um I was alerted about these auctions and um I was like you know I want to know why she pulled the auctions and if she'd still be willing to sell them I'll buy everything she's got um but I had to get a hold of her and luckily for me the president of ESP Guitars Matt Massindaro um was really close to Jeff Hanneman ESP Guitars made the Jeff Hanneman signature line mm-hmm. models a number of you know urban camouflage black colored you know Jeff Hanneman signature model guitars so he could get a whole this guy Matt the president of VSP who's a really really close friend of mine old friend of mine what a mentor of sorts to me as well I got a hold of him I said I'm interested in any of these guitars if they're still available um you know uh just see if she'd entertain the thought of selling them to me and um you know if there's any anything else she wants to discuss so Matt gets a hold of Catherine Hanneman the widow tells her all about me she says this sounds like a guy I want to talk to uh here's my number I got the number from Matt I called her Catherine and I um hit it off you know had a great dialogue from the start and she said I pulled these auctions because I decided I didn't want, you know, a guitar here and a guitar here of Jeff's and whatnot. Jeff was really um, passionate about being a guitarist and a riff writer. We all know that as Slayer fans, obviously. And he was very close to his instruments. And in in res- with respect to Jeff's spirit and with respect to my wishes, I'm talking in Catherine Hanneman's words, um, you know, neither of us would want to see these guitars in a hard rock cafe hanging on a wall with a plaque. Hey, Jeff Hanneman's, yeah, you know, Jackson guitar, or, um, yeah, or getting flipped, you know, a couple of years from now which on eBay. For sure, would happen. And, um, I said, okay, well, I can totally get that. Go, what, what do you want though? For what do you want? What would you, what would you and Jeff? What do you think you'd wish to see happen with these guitars if someone like me were to buy the the whole lot? She goes, well, Jeff would want these guitars played for the rest of their lives. Um, ideally, uh, have basically Jeff was the one owner, and hypothetically, you're the next owner. You're gonna have these till the day you die. Yeah, and. Um, and you're going to enjoy the guitars, use them, because that's what Jeff would want, because he loved these instruments like they were his children. I said, Catherine, I can assure you, if you give me the opportunity to buy these guitars, I will play them. I will use them on an album. Um, when I say play them, I'll play them. I'll write music with them in our home studio. I will perhaps break one out for a special festival like say um, you know we do Download Fest in the UK yep. or we do Vakken which is like 
don't know, 250,000 people in Germany, I would break out one of his most legendary guitars that everyone in the world could identify with, like his punk rock Jackson, and use it for an entire Broken Hope live set. Um, I would do that. So she goes, all right, well, Matt Massey and Darrow vouched for you, and he was really close to Jeff, and he's the guy, and I know Matt real well because he helped facilitate those auctions, actually, yeah. too. And after talking to you, um, I'm putting all my faith in you and believe in you, Jeremy, and uh, I'll sell you these guitars. And what happened was from there, I said, okay, we, I don't like to discuss, you know, money. Everyone right. always speculates shit. You know, people know what the auction prices were, but what happened, James, is when I, I went out to the Hanneman house, which is like going to Mecca for me. I bet. <laughs> you know I what bet. I mean? And Catherine, not only did I get, I got the guitars she was going to auction, but I got um, many, many more of Jeff's guitars that were not on auction, including this legendary punk rock Jackson guitar that Damn. that he had since South of Heaven album through every other album and tour and it's everyone knows that guitar I've yeah. got ton, I've got a stack of magazines 50 feet high that has that guitar in it I'm not exaggerating or anything Catherine um, bless her heart she let me also buy a number of Jeff Hanneman's um, personal martial heads uh, personal effects and a lot of stuff. So, um, well, hell, you've been to my house, James. You you see, there's it's almost like uh, a mini Hanneman house. I'm almost yeah. like a a mini Jeff. Jokingly, that's Catherine and I say because we both Jeff was one of the chief songwriters for Slayer. I'm one of the chief songwriters for Broken Hope. Jeff wrote these sick ass lyrics for Slayer. He influenced me as a lyricist as well, man. And I have, I, I'm a writer, no matter what horror author. Yeah. But writing lyrics, I've written all the lyrics for Broken Hope, and they're all horror based, and I get great joy out of that as a writer. So Hanneman did all these things that I can relate to. But anyway, Catherine Hanneman, again, she was so awesome to me, and she let me get like a what I call a real Jeff Hanneman estate which was all these things from you know beer steins to guitars and everything in between that that she would part with and um, I'm never parting with any of that stuff and um, I pay tribute to Jeff every day moreover I've got these great prints of Jeff Hanneman from like Ross Halfin the photographer sure. My friend Chad Lee and others who took pictures of Jeff live and, um, you know, posed shots with some of the guitars I own. So there's Jeff Hanneman's spirit is all throughout my house. And, um, again, I every day I honor Jeff. And now let's go back to these guitars and what I'm doing. I'll tell you right now, um, I've written three new songs using Jeff's guitars. That's fantastic. Um, I've... Um, I've set the guitars up to my tuning with new strings, yeah. and the strings that were on the guitars actually wound up in circles, taped together, and have framed them because they, Jeff was the last guy to play on those strings. Wow. Also, I have not, I won't clean the guitars because there's like 
Jeff's sweat stains are still on him and um, flecks of um, fake blood from, like, the yeah. rain and blood anniversary, oh like, when they'd have it rain down. Little flecks of the fake blood that that, that, that his guitar takes oh, yeah, didn't stays. quite clean off. That stays. Um, and all kinds of shit. Those stickers on the guitars, you know, um, honest to God, if someone took one sticker off, I'd probably be in prison because I, I... I bet. I, I'm all about preservation, too, not just honoring just Well, you're legacy. a collector. That, that, you know, one thing I know about you, especially yeah. after walking through your house... A conscious collector, though. Yeah. In a good way, you know. Yeah. You, I mean, you appreciate the value of what you acquire. Right. It's, right. You're not repurposing it. You're... Right. You're having it to, to treasure. Yeah, exactly. I get it. There's... Um, Another thing about me, James, is I only collect shit that um, isn't shit. But you know, unless you're talking to my wife, she thinks it's shit. But <laughs> uh, I collect things that r- really have deep meaning for me. Um, I could go out and buy uh, an Eric Clapton guitar, say, at a Sotheby's auction, or um, a Jimi Hendrix guitar, like. That dude from Microsoft or whoever, mm-hmm. uh, he paid $900,000 for uh, the Woodstock electric guitar Hendrix had. True story. You know, I could buy that shit as a collector or some mega fan and, you know, throw it in a closet, mm-hmm. uh, show all my friend, try to impress my friends, um, you know, when I have a dinner party. Hey, look, I got Jimi Hendrix's guitar. I could go out and buy that shit and whatnot. But I don't operate like that kind of collector. I bought Hanneman's guitars because I am talking to you today because you were you know of Broken Hope, our several albums, a couple DVDs in our our history and death metal because of Jeff Hanneman being one of my key inspirations to pick up a goddamn electric guitar. It was Je- uh, um, Jeff Hanneman, James Hetfield, Kirk Hammett. Were the thir- first big three guys, not the big four, no pun intended. Those were the big three guys that got me off my ass to pick up an electric guitar and go, damn, yeah. this is what I want to do. Because I never heard fucking music like Ride the Lightning changed my life. It's still my favorite album to this day. Rain and Blood changed my life. It's still my favorite album to this day. So Jeff Hanneman. Being in the, this place in my life where I could buy this estate and do right by Jeff, it goes deeper than being a collector. It's being a true fan, being a, um, a guitarist who, who loves Jeff Hanneman's body of work, what Jeff means to me. And also, these guitars are built to the pretty much the exact same specs as my own guitars you gotta understand the same body style the same pickup models and configurations um the same the same um you know materials like uh the wood in the guitars everything is dead on to what i would use so that's another thing yeah you you follow what i'm saying um kurt cobain all right hey jeremy you want to buy kurt cobain's guitar no because kurt cobain it doesn't mean to me what Jeff Hanneman did. And Kurt Cobain, probably Nirvana outsold Slayer's whole catalog, you know, times ten. I don't care about that shit. Hanneman means everything to me. No disrespect to Cobain, but 
I'm not a hard rock cafe. I'm not a fucking collector of, you know, rare antiquities uh, from the world of music. It had a deeper meaning. It's a very rare situation. Yeah. Um, very unique. Very compelling. And um, I'm doing right by Jeff. I'm doing right by his widow. I'm doing right by my heart. And I'm. There's not a day that goes by since I got this estate that I don't give thanks. That I that I don't show my gratitude to Jeff. And um, you know the great thing is too, James. I'm not keeping this shit to myself. I'm sharing it with the world through through the fact that I'm writing yeah. songs on the guitars and. I promised I would record the entire next Broken Hope album only using Hanneman's guitars. And that's for the world. That's for people, Slayer fans, Broken Hope fans, um, guitar geeks of any kind. You know, it's a cool story. I think it's, um, again, a unique thing I'm doing. And um, if an opportunity presents itself where I can, you know, play these live, I'm going to do it. So... I've got them. I'll share them with the world. And again, keep keep that Hanneman torch burning. And that that's where we're at, man. I'm just really, you'll swear to God, uh, I'm just so grateful and 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 trying to be humble about it. And um, I don't take this, you know, lightly or anything. You know, I take Clearly. this very seriously. And and the responsibility that I've that I've um, offered the shoulder when I say responsibility that's the preservation of the guitars using the guitars and again doing right by Jeff Hanneman so that I think you are that's the whole story up till today (laughs) well all right so let's let's talk about what's next so you're working on a new album well what's next is I'm taking a bite of this fucking awesome taco right now well so this is my chance to talk so you can eat (laughs) Uh, so you're talking about writing uh, new songs Mm -hmm, using mm -hmm. Hanneman's guitars you're going to record yep. a new album at home? Mm-hmm. Um, for the past, like, uh, five years or so, I had a, we have, I have a home recording studio um, that actually my wife had built before um, I ever met her. And she did an awesome job with constru- whoever did the construction, made this beautiful beautiful recording studio um oh wait uh, hang on my, i think that's crazy you married into a recording studio almost yeah it was part came with came with the package man that's you 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 done right she uh <clears throat> my wife she she used to be um uh, play the piano she got classically it. trained but she doesn't play piano which is a shame she was like i think maybe forced to do it when she was a little kid sure but she if you heard her play piano now because she can still do it it'll blow your fucking mind i was like why don't ah, i'm not into piano <laughs> this wasn't for me you know, i never i'm like but you're so goddamn good and eh, whatever that's her my stepkids they love um they love music and they both are uh both great guitarists actually and um, so they that they used to jam in that studio. Well, they still do um, on and off. But you know, they, that was like a place for them to go and sure. set, have all this gear and stuff. 
So when I came into the picture, I had a Pro Tools LE, like light Pro Tools, cheap program, and I brought that in into the studio because there was really nothing in there to record with. Everything was set up like a control room and right. the big room and stuff, but no real recording gear. I brought all that in, and then I would record um, Broken Hope, new stuff, like do live recordings yeah. where we'd write riffs and like didn't want to forget them. All right, right. let's record this in the Pro Tools LE. So um, we did that, and um, like that's how I wrote... Um, the, the last Broken Hope album, Omen of Disease. Yep. Uh, doing doing it that way, just kind of live recording, demoing our own shit. This past year, I decided to get serious and really upgrade. I got this huge console. I got, you know, the full-blown uh, version of Pro Tools. I got all these preamps, um, amazing outboard gear, and uh, the it's best, pretty, it's the a best, righteous the, space. The, the, yeah, you you've you've seen it yourself. Yeah, I have the best microphones um, that that you can have. The studio I have now rivals, um, like I not not to be arrogant by any means, but I'm just saying what I, the studio that I built rivals any well-known studio you would go to for metal, whether you're. You know, whether you're in Slayer now or, um, you know, Amana Marth or Cannibal Corpse, wherever those guys are recording, um, you know, I got the same shit. I do have, fortunately, some really good friends of mine who are um, full-time studio engineers who will who'll work with, yeah. or, or one training me right now with what I have, um, and they're going to help engineer the next Broken Hope album and, and whatnot. Um, another thing we're doing is um, back to Hanneman. I have Hanneman's um, guitar amps and stuff, so I'm going to dial in a, a Hanneman tone. Yeah. Then I have a rig built to a T with vintage uh, Mesa boogie gear that is an exact twin of James Hetfield's Master of Puppets rig. So I'm taking the Hetfield rig, Hanneman rig, my tone, my other guitar player's tones, like they, he has a EVH, I think, and we're gonna layer all this shit and by modeling all those tones and make one sick fucking tone. So you're synthesizing old and new into something, yeah, completely something different. crushing. I love it. I like love a it. mad scientist, dude. yeah. And um, so I'm getting into all that. I'm learning a lot, and um, and. Again, another thing I'm grateful for. Um, I can't. I don't want to sound like a broken record. No pun intended. But <laughs> I. I really try hard to to always um, be humble and express how grateful I am for all these great things I have in life. Even if it's getting a guitar at a discount price, I'm grateful. So having this studio, which is a real luxury something I'm very grateful and thankful sure. for that I can have it because now I don't got to go to another studio and and pay by the hour you know we can do all this we're doing pre-production right now James which is very time consuming sure it is but it's so awesome because we're for like the first time in my career I'm doing real pre-production and really fleshing out all these ideas um, again like just modeling all these different 
rigs and tones is one thing. Um, working on harmonies, our other guitar player, Matt Schlotka, really honing his leads. And Damien, our singer, working on vocal patterns. No rush, you know what I mean? We're not like, we wrote these songs, we we demoed them, uh, you know, on our iPhone so we wouldn't forget them. Yeah. Here's the lyrics, slap it together. Oh, we got to be in the studio in May, and, and this is the budget we got, So, which means we have to get it done in five days. Right. Not anymore, man. This is like... That's a gift. I'm, I'm going to tell you something that, that's going to sound bold and... and, and and somewhat, people could, might laugh it off. Hopefully people will go, hey, that sounds badass, and it's this. I want this album, the next Broken Hope album, to be on a sonic level. I'm talking of, like, think of the greatest albums you, you know of, like, production-wise. I'm talking, I want, like, the death metal version of Thriller. That's amazing. With and why, the, why wouldn't you sound, shoot for that? You understand? Yeah. I don't need to sound noisy and shitty to get the point across that we're brutal as fuck. We're going to kill you with our music. And sonically, I'll, that's what I'm saying on a production level. Totally get it. I want to rival what a major label band. You want to set the standard for set the what standard. you do. Yep. Why would you? And that's, that's, that's one mission I have with our next album. Because... And you have the time. We have fans that buy albums, and I want them, this next one, when they li- listen to it on a CD, on vinyl, like your buddy Chris, or on their iPod, they will go, holy shit. Yeah. What this production is unlike any production on any death metal album we've ever heard in our effing life. That is a goal of mine. And they have all these ideas fleshed out ahead of time too is I think going to make for an even more stellar more quality album you know there's you're going to get everything that Broken Hope has put every ounce of energy you know blood sweat and tears in not to say that all the predecessors in our catalog we didn't put the same amount of effort in but one difference is we didn't have a a studio at our disposal to really be like a painter, you know, like a Van Gogh, where we have our own personal space and we're putting layers of paint on. We're sketching and painting and making a finished piece of art. That's there, there's what no this pressure. There's no, t- there's, there's no, no pressure. Nothing like that. You can create, right? Unfettered. Exactly. That's it. And again, with modeling all those guitar tones to make one mm-hmm. monstrous, epic, love it, sick guitar tone. I told you at my house. I've always been on a, a a quest. I think I mentioned this to you. If not, I'll Here say it to yeah. your listeners. I've always been on a quest since day one, formerly Broken Home, to have the heaviest guitar sound I could have. And with each demo we did before we got signed, I'd, I'd get new amps, new gear, uh-huh. and dial in heavier and heavier sounds. Every Broken Hope album, different gear, you know, uh-huh. whatnot. Um... I've been using Fractal XFX 2 in my rig for a number of years now. And that, so far, has had the most crushing tone I've had. But since I built this Hanneman rig and this Hetfield rig, those with my own stamp on on both, the 
the guitar tones are sick as hell with those. I love my fractal tone. I love Matt, again, our other lead guitar player. Mm-hmm. His tone is sick, and I'm still on that mission. I want to take all this stuff now and do something I never did before, and again, layer it, weave it together, have one tone that'll just, like uh, Dirty Harry would say, blow your head clean off. That's the so, goal. Yeah. Dude, I, I love I love what you're doing. And Broken Hope for me is a mood. It's a release. It's a feeling. Your, your guitar playing is, like I appreciate you said, that. Thank you. you. You crush, you kill, you hurt, you maim, you dismember, you disembowel. Actually, disembowel is most appropriate. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I can't yes. wait to hear, you know, just listening to you talk and feeling the enthusiasm, feeling where your head's at with this. I can't wait to hear what you come out of the studio with. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that, James. Um, you know, if you get my vibe just hanging out with me these past hours, you'll you'll see I'm a real enthusiastic kind of guy. Um, I'm enthusiastic about Broken Hope, of course. That's my baby. I'm enthusiastic about music. I'm enthusiastic about life. And um, I want listeners to get out of Broken Hope what you just said. I want them to... To, to get in a, a, a broken hope zone where when you hear broken hope like with anyone's favorite bands or, or you know music that's special to you it, it, it hits something and yeah it makes you feel a certain way even if it's you know aggression or whatever um, it's still a positive thing and I want to have a positive impact on anyone that listens to our stuff and 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 Ever, you know, to, to people that appreciate what we do, I just want it to always be uh, special, you know. And I, I write it when I write music, I write it for myself because I'm a fan. Um, and all you listeners, you know, who, who've heard me, you know, run at the mouth here, um, I've pr- made it pretty clear I am a music fan, and um, yep, and when I write music, I write it for myself as a fan because I part of my part of the art and it's like writing when I write fiction James when I get into a, a, a novel um, the characters the shit starts flowing it's almost like I'm channeling something out of my fingertips to the keyboard and the, and the characters who I who I thought were pretty set in stone and going one way take on a life of their own and I'm actually surprised and when I write that's what makes it exciting that's what makes it exciting what I love about writing and what I love about writing riffs is the same thing I put on a guitar and it's like I'm channeling something somewhere else I will literally have um, a riff or a melody in my head that I'm humming to myself and I'll put on a guitar Mike our drummer will get on drums and I'll try to make those that, that melody come out on my fretboard of my guitar but then it'll turn into a whole new creature. Love it. And Mike and I will be like, holy shit. And it'll it'll come out real fast. I told you at my house, and this is relevant to what I just said, um, one of my favorite bands of all time is 70, 70s era Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Everything they did up until the plane crash. I, I love, love that band. The, the friggin' the guitar work, Ronnie Van Zant's lyrics, vocals. I just cherish that stuff. And Ronnie Van Zandt, everyone knows the song Sweet Home Alabama. It's got one of the most memorable riffs 
and and, yep. and one of the most memorable songs you've ever heard. And when asked how they wrote that song and how quick they did, it, Ronnie said, "Well, Ed King, we were in the jam spot. It was called Hell House. They used to jam, and it was a real sweat box like mm-hmm. shack out out in the woods." And Ed King just started that main riff. Everyone, yep, everyone caught onto it. And he said, uh, in not so many words, we had that song written in three minutes flat. And we found with our stuff already, the great songs of the world, all, all, most of the great songs of the world were written in minutes. Sure. And that's how it's been with when you're with me with bro, writing riffs where I'm channeling it. The riffs take on a life of their own. You're in a a, a a vibe, a flow, and I'm telling you, man, especially with this new album, Mike and I have written new so many songs just in one sitting. You know what I mean? So there, 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 um, it's a dangerous it's thing. It's magic, you, man. It's magic. It's a dangerous thing when you start overthinking your art. It it you, is because you reach is. a point of diminishing returns real fast. I mean, right to bring up Metallica again. Look at the documentary, some kind of monster. Yeah. They just forgot how to make music. They they thought too much. They, too yes. many cooks in the kitchen too. Yeah, in that t- you know, you it, know. I I've never worked with a producer ever. I always been. I'm not anti-producer, but um, we had the luxury. I use that word a lot when Brian Griffin was in our band, who now works for Lamb of God. Um, great guy, by the way. Uh, he still lives in Chicago and. Um, he's a phenomenal guitarist, and he's a very talented engineer. Um, he also does he does Lamb of God sound and their tour management. And when he was in Broken Hope, he produced all of our albums. Right. So when I say we didn't work with a producer, we did, but he was a band member, and we always retained our vision and, and sound. You know, and that's the one thing about producers again i'm not anti-producer someday maybe i'll work with someone but there is part of me a little trepidation where i'm like i don't want you to fuck up the broken hope sound or, hey, you figure you, you figured or, this out on your own yeah you know and i've been doing it since day one the d right d dy yeah dyi attitude and um anyway again back to the music we write i just wanted to always be meaningful to people that truly appreciate it yeah. For those that don't get it or hate it, you know, it's fine. Go listen to whatever you do. But Broken Hope, for the ears that care, I always hope it meet, you know, gives you a, a warm feeling. Again, whether it's that, if that warm feeling is aggressive and you want to punch cinder blocks with your fists or it brings you back to some special experience or, you know, you just you just get off on the on the extreme nature of what we do. Um, that to me is like, all right, mission accomplished. But also, again, uh, you know, I don't want to keep reiterating the same thing. But as a fan, I also want to hear Broken Hope album and go, man, you know, fuck, we did we did good on this one right. again. And I I could listen um, to my own riffs, and I want to be able to play the riffs that I wrote as a fan live. I want what I do to also be a pleasant experience for me. That's why I write for myself and not trying to write to be popular or be this or that. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying. Jeremy, you're awesome. Carconcarne.com is where you find more of this. Uh, also on Twitter at 
Caracon Carne. And if you like the show, if you tolerate the show, if you think it's okay, let a friend know. We're, we're trying to spread the love uh, in 2016. Caracon Carne, thank you for listening. Broken Hope rocks. <laughs>